0: Hello and welcome to the Right Idea, where we discuss the people, policy, and politics that drive Texas. I'm your host Brian Phillips. I'm the Chief Communications Officer here at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, and as always, with me is my co-host Derek Cohen, who is our Vice President of Policy at the T- at TPPF. All
1: right, so session, are you guys getting <laughs> getting close to close to the end? Uh, well, you know, we're yes, yes, we're getting close to the end. Is everything uh, getting done that we needed to get done? Um. Th- I think there's still a lot of work that's still left on the table. Still left but, on uh, the table. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll get sleep. into that. <laughs> uh, for sure. So, um,
0: But, but um, I did want to mention that uh, this weekend, do you have – Cinco de Mayo is in a couple days. It'll be in, it's on Friday of this week. Um, any fun plans set up for Cinco de Mayo? I mean, it's uh, on a Friday, so, you know, go crazy. Do what you want. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, unfortunately, no. Unfortunately, I have some uh, business travel that needs to get uh, taken care of. Um, but, you know, I, I should at least uh, – be sure to uh, celebrate in spirit if not in practice. So I
0: did learn um, because I thought it was fortuitous because one year I happened to be in Mexico for Cinco de Mayo and I was all excited because I'm thinking oh this is a huge holiday here in in Mexico. Mm -hmm. Turns out it is not a huge holiday Mm -hmm. uh, in Mexico that it really is sort of a gringo holiday Mm -hmm. Uh, certainly a lot of Americans were certainly celebrating in the way that they might celebrate uh, Cinco de Mayo and then I looked into it and it (laughs) turns out that Cinco de Mayo uh, commemorates a, a victory over Uh, A military victory over the French, Mm. which is probably why they don't really celebrate it. Because I mean, it's a (laughs) it's a military victory over the French. So I mean, how much can you really celebrate?
1: Well, that night I I actually celebrate Orthodox Cinco de Mayo, so it's not till the (laughs) twentieth.
0: (laughs) Well, at the very least, it was a victory over Napoleon's army, Mm. so um, maybe, but of course, then they, well, I won't get into the history of it, but then they came back and Napoleon um, won the second battle of Pueblo, and probably that's why they don't celebrate it, but their Independence Day is September 15th, Mm. so that could be the day that that we uh, celebrate uh, here in the United States. Anyway, have fun on Friday, have fun, be safe, Uh, have a margarita or however it is that you uh, celebrate Cinco de Mayo. Okay. Uh, maybe we, there might we might need some tequila after this week uh, in the uh, in in the session. So we'll get to some of the obvious controversies and some of the obvious issues. Um, um, you know, namely SB fourteen and all mm-hmm. of the uh, the us, the craziness that went on this week. Uh, so tell us. So before we get to that, you know, tell us a little bit about how things are going in terms of um, you know are are we getting are we getting things through the session in your estimation? I know we've talked a little bit about the pace and and maybe some of that stuff is overblown but uh, are any issues you know looking looking a little bleak
1: you know uh well i still think it's definitely too early to say that any particular thing is is looking a little bleak now i will mention that you know it is getting late for house bills in the house you know we've talked about the the uh, upcoming deadline of bills needing to be set on a house calendar and therefore heard on the floor hmm. um i believe it's at six days at this point uh, recording on uh, wednesday this time um but, yeah, so, I mean, things are really, really, you know, starting to come down to those actual tangible deadlines. But, you know, we co- we've we talked about this before, and, you know, you definitely have a point where, you know, things find their way onto other related bills. Mm-hmm. But it is, getting, it is getting that season, you know, the fact that um, we're just now seeing HB5, uh, the Speaker's Economic Development Package, just now get to the floor. Uh, I think that that... Uh, you know, is indicative of some headwinds. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, it still needs to <laughs> clear the whole opposite chamber, which again, the it has a little more flexibility, a little more alacrity that they're able to apply. But yeah, it's, it's getting to that point where, you know, you never pronounce final death on a particular thing, but it tends to get a little... More difficult, and then a lot more difficult to see things resurrected. You know, starting now.
0: Now I'm I've seen uh, on social media and all of this this term that keeps getting thrown around, and I'm still not super familiar mm-hmm. with what exactly it is. But chubbing, mm-hmm. and despite the sort of silly name of chubbing, mm-hmm. it is actually fairly serious. And you mm-hmm. probably should know what it is if you're working in and around the Texas Legislature. Yes. So for our audience who are interested in these kinds of things but wouldn't necessarily know this kind of practice, what is chubbing on the uh, in the Texas Legislature?
1: Well, to keep it in the football parlance, it's essentially just chewing the clock. Uh, it is wasting time through deleterious motions and speeches and debate uh, that probably don't need to happen. But I mean, there's a lot of <laughs> debate and stuff that doesn't need to happen. Some that does need to happen that doesn't. But when we when we talk about chubbing, we'll see a bill that does something fairly innocuous. You know, it might not be on local and consent, but it's something that most people agree to. But then they will, the author or people who wants to engage in chubbing often, sometimes the author usually wants to pass their bill, but sometimes they will be a willing participant, sometimes not. Uh, They will talk for their full allotted time. They will move for or they will have uh, whoever their interlocutor is move for an extension mm-hmm. uh, and basically taking the maximum procedural procedural allowable time uh, to hear a bill. So you think, that oh, well, that you know, they have caps on the extension and how many extensions can be uh, voted on. And yeah, that is true. But the thing is, if you take that and extend, you know, so let's say there's a like today, it's a nine bill supplementary calendar on the House. If every single bill took the maximum, you know, which is 20 plus minutes time to debate on that, that you're not getting through that in a day, Mm -hmm. right? You're not getting through that in a day. And so doing that for every bill is deleterious for bills either on subsequent calendars or in calendars not yet set.
0: Uh, Is there anything that the authors of the bills can do to prevent somebody from using this essentially this delay tactic and not using it for substantive reasons?
1: Well, I mean, and I don't want to put too, too much of a fine point on this, but- the chubbing tends to be usually employed by the the party not in power because they don't have the, the leverage by which to set favorable calendars. Right. Mm-hmm. So what you generally see is this on, again, Republican bills or Democrat bills of low import. And which we just they just kind of delay it. One thing you can do uh, that's procedurally allowable is is for is, is calling the question. But again, with the procedural barriers around that, you basically say we're going to call the question. And it's basically you are entering a notice in so that in the future you're going to do that. And then there's I, I, I believe it's an hour. I'm not mm-hmm. quite sure. I'll have to look back at the rules. Um but essentially, there there are they are ones that almost guarantee there'll be chaos on the on the House floor. Um, but that being said, you know I think they're going to be chaos anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and does it save that much time having to do that? No. And then of course, you know, when the the old tried and true thing, and we'll talk about more about this when we get to fourteen, is that you also have you know just pretty much vexatious points of order as well as a stalling tactic. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're going to see the. The pace that people were complaining about in the house, if you thought that was bad before... Uh, well just wait
0: <laughs> okay so don't don't uh, anybody say that you don't learn anything on the show so now <laughs> everybody is uh, expert. they learned about
1: Orthodox Cinco de Mayo
0: it, Orthodox Cinco de Mayo and Chubbing so <laughs> uh, do that do with that what you will uh, <laughs> listeners and viewers okay today on today's show we're going to get through a bunch of different issues first I want to do a little shameless plugging um, again I talk about this every week but I think it's a really important product our weekly comprehensive email that we put out every Thursday it's called The Post I write a little excuse, exclusive piece for it and it's got a a ton of information, a ton of other uh, op-eds and videos, and and we even have a little fun kind of at the end, Uh, so I would uh, request or suggest that you all subscribe to that. You can find it at texaspolicy.com slash the post is what it's called. We also have um, our video series that we're very proud of that's called The Layout. I recorded one this week uh, with Chip Roy, with Representative Chip Roy um, of the 21st District here and around Austin. Uh, He came in to talk about um, the new bill, the the controversy over their debt ceiling bill Mm -hmm. that the GOP passed in the House. Uh, if you have any thoughts on that, we can we can go into it later. But if you want to watch that, it's about 10 minutes long, and, and Chip, Representative Roy does a really good job um, of, uh, of going into what's in the bill and kind of the controversy behind it. So again, that's the layout. That's our, our great video series that we have on our YouTube page. Okay. On today's show, go through the list real quick. We're going to try and get to, obviously, SB14 and everything that happened this week with the gender mod ban and the fact that it was de- the vote was delayed, the debate was delayed. We're going to talk about Civil Asset 40 corporature, and it's moving in the House. I know being a criminal, your criminal justice background, you probably have some thoughts
1: mm-hmm. on
0: that. Uh, the border war of words between, uh, between our governor and the Chicago mayor. We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, President Trump weighs in on our tax policy, or at least our debate over tax policy uh, here in Texas, which is interesting for a candidate to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then look at some of the uh, printer problems that they're having down in Harris County, and uh, one senator, uh, Senator Mays Middleton's proposal to, to uh, incentivize them to do better. All right, so we'll jump into all of those issues, but obviously the number one issue, the the big controversy this week in the House, the uh, the, the bill to ban uh, doctors from performing gender modification mm-hmm. on minors, that bill came over. It's SB14 in the Senate, which was moved over into the House. They were going to have the big debate led by Representative Tom Oliverson, who's carrying the House bill, mm-hmm. uh, but it was for naught. Derek, tell us a little bit about what happened and
1: what do you think? Yeah, well, notwithstanding the whole uh, the whole circus, Uh, that went on yesterday and you know it's funny to point out that there was actually there are a lot of consequential bills on the calendar yesterday uh not least of which uh being hb 1605 which was chairman buckley's uh curriculum bill which highlighted many many things that we've talked about here on the show before but i i don't disagree that the the banner headline was obviously SB 14. So SB 14, like you said, uh, prohibits, uh, gender modification minors, you know, obviously there's nuance in there and there's exemptions and there's, um, there's Some more w- details. Yeah. There's details, but like essentially that's, that's the top level. So it gets laid out. I think it was, uh, close to three o'clock if I recall correctly. Um, and then before even, uh, Dr. Oliverson could really begin the layout, uh, uh, chairwoman um gonzalez calls a point of order on it and it, we've talked a little bit on this uh show that points of order are essentially uh, it's a highly privileged motion again not to get too much into roberts here but a point of order is a highly privileged motion that takes precedent uh ba- basically it goes right to the front of the queue um and basically says we can no longer consider this bill because of a substantial defect. Mm. What could the, the defect could be anything that it's unconstitutional, that the revenue hasn't been certified by the comptroller, if it's the appropriations bill, mm. um, it that could be a mistake in you know the code that they reference
0: or something mm, that there's not they, the right code that they're trying to reform or something.
1: Yeah, and then beyond structural defects, it could be a defect in the supporting document, and that's what we saw yesterday. Okay, so. Most of these bills, when they are, you know, sent out, they have what a bill analysis, the TLDR, the too long didn't read of um, uh, document that accompanies it. And ironically, though, shorter bills, uh, you know, with a lot of things unsaid tend to have longer bill analyses. sometimes where the bill analysis is longer than uh, the bill itself. But complex bills or bills dealing with very nuanced serious issues tend to be longer right and so when these bill analyses are being uh scrubbed for accuracy by either ledge counsel the committee clerk interested parties whatever the case might be what they're doing is making sure everything that is represented in the bill is then represented in the bill analysis and vice versa everything in the bill analysis then has an analog in the bill itself and so if one of them you know if there's a mismatch or an asymmetry then you essentially have a misleading bill analysis, which was one of the big uh, subjective, but one of the big ones that it went down. So yesterday, they had this big, long section of the bill analysis. That was all the content, you know, content here, content there, content here, content there. And that stuff was uh, that stuff was good. But the opening paragraph, and here's the trouble. The opening paragraph referred to the American College of Pediatricians. Uh, when it should have been the American College uh, I'm sorry the American College of Pediatrics when it should have been the American College of Pediatricians on the other side you have the American Academy of Pediatrics and it's funny cuz I know this sounds like you know this sounds like the you know the joke they had in Futurama with, uh Jeff Johnson versus John Jefferson mm-hmm. you know and there's basically two candidates just in different colored shirts these these groups could not be any, any more opposite one of which is you know throwing the anchor out on the whole gender modification practice say you know run by uh endocrinologists saying guys we do not have the science to back this up and the other one goes yeah whatever WPATH says is probably good we'll just we can ro- we can roll with it you know it's not that important We'll uh, uh, evolving standards so of the error sorbo.
0: was substantive it wasn't just a misspelling
1: it, it i would i would argue and, and my colleague andrew would argue that it was a de minimis error but did it create reasonable confusion. I, I mean, you know, that's, I guess that's up for uh, them to decide. So what happened is when this was called, they jet, they then had to, they then went up, had a scrum about it, but that's also, of course, a lot of the, the procedural stuff kind of went under the radar. Cause at this time is when the gallery was completely having a meltdown, mm. uh, you know, uh, uh, men uh, identifying as women, exposing themselves to members, things like that, you know, just the absolute, just, you know, you know, the circus was the, going yeah. off yeah and so while all the, the the point of order was never sustained it was pulled down mm. um, and then they recommitted uh, SB14 uh, to committee before that even happened before that it was even announced chairman Burroughs uh, on Twitter says SB14 will be back on the floor at the end of this week and so we saw it go back to uh, go back to uh, what was it public health mm-hmm. the supporting documents were corrected it was, and then it was back in calendars within within an hour or so. So obviously, though the calendar must go on, and we still have posting requirements. But the bill didn't go away, but it was uh, it was a bit delayed.
0: And so, you know, two things I would point out to us. I guess just one, you know, for for you know the casual observer, you know, uh, looking at this. Why, you know, even if we did, whether or not you thought it was a substantive error or not, um, why couldn't it just be fixed on the House floor? I mean, they're literally, when they're going over these bills, they're adding amendments to these bills, substantive amendment Mm. to these bills, just like one after the other Mm. after the other that are unanimous and there's no objection, but they're, you know, making major changes. If they can do major changes to a bill that quickly, you know, right there on the floor, why can't something like this be solved? And then they move on with the debate.
1: Well, you know, and, and that's been said before, and not only that, but there have been proposals Proposals um, from members of the legislature uh, as an amendment to the rules to basically ensure that there needs to be a serious substantive defect in order for a point of order to, to be sustained, mm-hmm. as opposed to, I, I would argue this one, and I think, I think seven out of ten people would agree with me that this is a de minimis, relatively... Uh, because it was a scrivener's error on behalf of the committee clerk, and you know, I mean, the, these stuff, ha- these things happen because, again, the big debate is what's in the contents, right. not the statement of purpose, which is up front. And so, it th- this stuff happens, I, I wouldn't disagree with that, uh, Brian. But the House has always prided itself on being very attuned to the rules and, and following them to a T. And uh, and I think that you know, in sustaining this, it also kind of is a learning opportunity to. <laughs> To tell all the champions, make sure your bills are, are are clean and really emphasizing the need for that. Because, again, it's not, right. you know, you can get something taken, you know, something can get found in the content part of a bill easily. Mm-hmm. But this part was up front. And, again, a lot of people gloss over that because they're like, I'm going to really pour into the weeds here. But, you know, they forgot the... The lead. Does this,
0: this, I mean, is this the Dem strategy? I mean, there, you know, number one, this is, you know, this is largely um, uh, just theater because there are a majority of the House members have actually become uh, joint authors or have co sponsored this Mm -hmm. legislation. So if you have a majority of the House already co sponsoring the legislation, it's obviously going to pass. Number two, is this the Dem strategy? I mean, is this, is there actually a strategy to go in and try and pick apart this bill in a substantive way, do you think? um, Or is this it? They're just going to try and go through points of order to delay, delay, delay. And that's the way you think they're going to beat this, uh, beat down this bill, or, or create some kind of controversy around it.
1: Well, I mean, if let, let's let's compare and contrast to uh, the end of last session in 21, uh, when the walkout happened. So the walkout that happened in the 87th occurred on the second to last day before Sonny die. Uh, when the election bill conference report came back over, because again, without going too much into details, if a bill gets amended in the other chamber so that it looks different than it was voted out of the originating chamber, they either need to concur with what would happen to it and just say, ah, it's fine. Or they say, nah, we don't concur. Give you know, we'll give yeah. you five, you give us five, those five are gonna hammer something out, they'll bring it back to us and then we'll vote on whatever y'all hammer out. Vote right on again. Yeah. Yeah. And so in doing so, they walked out on the conference report, which I mean the conference report's like the last thing. It's just one up and down vote, and that goes to the governor or not. Mm-hmm. And so they walked out on that because they did not have the votes to stop the conference report from being adopted. Right. That was two days left in session. We have twenty-six <laughs> right mm-hmm. now. So this is something that even if so something if, you don't really ever say, there's time.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, actually, and I, in this case there might
1: be time, and I, and I would definitely and I would definitely not if, if I were the the Bills champion. Not that he needs to be told by me, but I would not, I would recommend not resting on that particular laurel. But that being said, is throwing out the anchor this far away from port is not gonna it's not a sustainable strategy because even if they they reset it for friday right mm-hmm. they reset it for friday and they chub everything between here and there it doesn't come off the calendar that calendar gets pushed another day and pushed another day and pushed another day to the point where they can't hear house bills anymore now the air the runway uh, or i'm sorry the the population of bills that they can chub on is now one-eighth of as much as because that's now only senate bills in the in house calendars. Right. And so it essentially would be only ensuring that those bills are now are not even are you know are now in the way or are basically saying you're cutting down what you actually can chub on and that almost seems like a a pointless strategy in and of itself, because you're eventually going to get to the bills when you're starting this far out that you seek to avoid. I also
0: think it's odd for this issue to be one that the, the, the Democrat, the Texas House Democrats are, are, you know, creating a hill to die on mm-hmm. uh, just because of all of the evidence that the, right. the public is against them. I mean, there was a, you know, obviously our poll we've talked about before, there's been a 14 point swing in the last year in the number of Texans who believe that, that we should be banning these practices, these medical procedures uh, on on minors. A 14 point swing is huge. In, mm-hmm. in a year you just don't see public policy issues move like that with today uh, and then whenever they, we, we put out that poll and people were saying oh well you're asking the question in a weird way or we don't believe your results okay fine I'll take our word for it today the uh, University of Texas asked their question on gender affirming care and all that and in fact 58 percent where ours was only 56 58 mm-hmm. percent said that they that they support banning these procedures uh, for minors and so it seems a very very odd place for the for the Democrats uh, to, to well, decide that well, we're going to create a bunch of controversy, get a bunch of eyeballs on this issue, uh, and really stand—you know—stand against the people of Texas, which, which by the way includes a third of Democrats. Uh, you know, this is going to be the one we're really going to focus on, and the one we're really going to brand ourselves with uh, for the legislature.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, of course, you know, that's just the right-wing troglodytes over at the University of Texas. You know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, the, I mean, the, those birchers. You know, so that being said, though, I, I think you bring up a good point. Though, is that. They're essentially uh, this is a area that there is partisan disagreement, but as observed, as I've seen observed today, the right is far more co- cohesive on this than the left. There are folks on the left. I would, I would imagine this would include uh, folks down in the valley, you know, folks in the you know the urban areas. Uh, or suburban areas, I should say, uh, where in URCA they're not down with this 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 coalitional approach to, you know, allowing kids to, you know, to self harm like this. Mm-hmm. Or even worse, allow the kids to be told by their schools that this is, you know, that this behavior is is, is something that should be, uh, you know, elevated. And and I think that the more the discussion happens, the more people are starting to see. Yeah. And I don't think that The trend is going to reverse itself Regardless of the fate of SB14 Or its house analog
0: it just seems, it, again, it just seems like a, an odd for one for them to, to really state their claim you know, as in terms of what they're working on for mm-hmm. this session. Uh, and so clearly the people of Texas are against it. Okay. So um, I, I definitely want to get to um, immigration because of the mm-hmm. border and all of that, border security is a, a huge issue. Um, this week, the mayor of Chicago sent a letter to our governor, to uh, Governor Abbott, uh, pleading for him, imploring with him, and, and threatening him um, to stop the busing, to stop. Sending the the illegal aliens who are coming across, stop bussing them up to Chicago because they no longer can handle it. And she said mm-hmm. a few things in her um, in her letter that I want you to chew on. The first one is she said they're running out of room, they're running out of space, they're running out of resources. Now this is a, sh- a city that uh, that has 2.7 million people in the city of mm-hmm. Chicago, and there have been a total of about 8,000 migrants that have been set up there. So 2.7 yeah. million people in the city of Chicago, 8,000 immigrants, and they're running out of space. To are running out of room, I would contrast that with the city of El Paso, which is about mm-hmm. six hundred and fifty-eight thousand. Laredo, which is about two hundred and fifty thousand, then and then um, this yeah, the the, the, no yeah. McAllen, which McAllen. is about one hundred and fifty thousand. McAllen, in particular, because there was an article that came out this week that there are fifteen thousand mostly Haitian immigrants who are literally sitting across uh, the river in Reynosa, ready to bum rush the 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 uh, the border as soon as uh, Title Forty Two, mm-hmm. the policy that the, the rapid expulsion policy, as soon as that goes away next. Week. You've got fifteen thousand mostly Haitian immigrants that are about to bum rush the, the border at Reynosa, um, and you've got a city of about one hundred fifty thousand sitting on the other side. You know what kind of resources are they going to have to take care mm-hmm. of all those people? Anyway, the war of words uh, came down. Uh, Governor Abbott, of course, responded and said, "You know, if you're going to go to the president and you're going to threaten me, you know, with with FEMA uh, funding and all that. In fact, if you're going to talk to the president, why don't you tell him to do his job mm-hmm. and come down here and support the uh, the uh, and support border security for so what's your take on the, the politics and the, the, uh, the, the back and forth with our governor?
1: Well, I, I think, well, obviously I side with Governor Abbott on this because having witnessed firsthand uh, the, the human capital being destroyed, um, to say nothing of, uh, of property destruction and everything else down there with this, you know, largely self-inflicted uh, policy wound, you know, and, and t- to be honest with you, you know, I'm not looking to spare the Biden administration their blushes because this is their fault. And they surround themselves with leftist agitators, sycophants, uh, like uh, Congresswoman Veronica Escobar, I'll name names, uh, who basically just gets out there and, you know, I'm 90% sure that the president already has someone that goes out there every day and lies for him. I'm not sure what what Congresswoman (laughs) Escobar is adding. Well, are you
0: saying that the press secretary's claim that that the president has reduced uh, border to crossings by 90%? Are you suggesting
1: that that was a lie? Uh, I I dare not say a lie, but no, it, it's just ridiculous, Brian. And it's ridiculous because you see, again, just the constant gaslighting of Americans over this issue. And then you want to say, hey, maybe, you know, taking 15,000 people in one day stretches a little bit of local resources, too. It's like, wow, that's a bigoted response. And it's <laughs> like, you know what? This is not even worth having the discussion anymore. Now, I will allow me to give the, cre- the president his credit where due. He is deploying 1500 uh, National Guardsmen down there to help with paperwork so mm-hmm. you know now if the issue spreadsheets and and
0: watching video cameras
1: I, I, exactly and hey look everyone knows spreadsheets are hard to do so the fact that we have good uh, good men and women on station trained in Microsoft Excel or you know whatever the, the Go- or Google Docs mm-hmm. you know it's good that we're going to actually have that but I say that all sarcastically this is such a mess it's such a self inflicted wound and the thing is I, and this is where you know, many people on the left and the right are saying that if Biden wanted to tack back to the center, which of course we can talk about because he's obviously got some, uh, you know, he might, be, might might not be tacking back to the center soon because he obviously has a primary and uh, mm-hmm. uh, challengers that are seeming more and more credible as the days go on. Um, but in doing so, he could have his sister soldier moment. He could basically put his foot down and say, look, we need immigration reform. We need more. You know, we need, we need, wider gates but we also need taller walls you know we can let in more people legally if we start regulating the process that was that is a Easy but opportunity, that's, but
0: that's I mean, and that's it plays to the left too. Uh, but but he has he has uh, resisted the urge, or at least maybe even the advice that he's gotten to triangulate on this issue mm. at all, which is mm. which which to me says says a whole lot. In fact, even coming out and saying, um, you know, we're going to respond. You know, we know Title Forty Two is going away next week, so we're going to respond by sending fifteen hundred troops to the border. I think everybody at first was like, well, fifteen hundred is not a lot, but I mean, I guess he's sending troops to the border. And then of <laughs> course, not only did you have to read the fine print, but because the left started freaking out about it. It's like, yeah. why are you sending troops? They had to come out and explain, oh, no, wait, wait. We are definitely not sending them to do law enforcement at all. We're definitely not sending them to do border security. So even when it looks like he's trying to try and create a little bit and trying to respond to the obvious crisis that they yeah. created the last two and a half years, their base is so leftist. Their base is yeah. so crazy that he has to come out and has been through his his uh, intermediaries explain, no, 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 we're not actually doing the thing that we're trying to get credit for and hiding.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think you need, you know, obviously even with uh this administration not overlapping with tbf priorities on, on we'll say a number of areas <laughs> you know we still mildly. We, we still deal with the the federal agencies insofar as insofar as we have to including the eop the executive office of the president and again these are folks who are well meaning individuals but they are not moderates they are not the individual uh or they are not uh you know, my, the office is not a microcosm of what Joe Biden—I don't even think ran on. Because he didn't really run, but basically allowed the Rorschach test to be painted in instead. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Um, well, uh, we'll see. We'll see how all that uh, turns out. I mean, this time next week, I think the Thursday is when Title 42 runs out. That's the rapid expulsion policy. That's when all the calls going to go out. You know, Biden has opened the borders. I mean, we're already seeing this propaganda happen at the border. Uh, so it will be very, uh, very interesting to see what happens. The last thing I'll say is, you know, Biden obviously I don't, I'm not sure what Mayor Lightfoot in Chicago is expecting the Biden administration to do because all of these border towns are are run by Democratic mayors. Mm-hmm. So he's obviously shown uh, no willingness at all to even help his own mayors of his own party with immigration issues. So he's certainly not going to help uh, Mayor Lightfoot. And by the way, she's on the way out anyway. Mm-hmm. So what does
1: he have to do? But, uh, he's got, but a, we got a new teacher union guy coming in. So, hey, we got one of those in the White House, we were told.
0: It definitely shows, I think, that, be, that because of the the um the the message that it's sending with Abbott sending the, the migrants on these buses to all of these sanctuary cities mm-hmm. um it, the, the fact that they're writing these letters and they're getting public about it I think the strategy is working I think is what mm-hmm. it shows um that that it's be, you know this is a national issue and certainly busing migrants around the country is making it you know the national problem becoming more of a national issue so anyway all right now speaking of presidents one former president uh is back in the news if you didn't <laughs> know uh President Trump who likes to stay in the news. Of course, the the left-wing media always wants to keep him in the news. Uh, But he was in the news this week or the last uh, 10 days or so uh, for actually weighing in uh, on social media on the big debate that we're having here in Texas about uh, property tax or at least how to cut property taxes. Um, You know, the Senate has its plan. They've already passed it. The House has this plan. I'm not sure exactly where that is, but but the two plans are very different. It's been kind of a war of words between the Speaker and the uh, Lieutenant Governor on that little tongue-in-cheeks sometimes fun but more memes serious. too um, but the president has weighed in the pre- former president has weighed in now uh, on, a, on a policy issue uh, on the side of the senate right. on the side of the uh, lieutenant governor uh, Dan Patrick who of course is very close to the president was his main guy in Texas during the campaign mm. uh, you know just politically what do you make of a couple things one just the president get um, you know coming out and, and, and getting involved but just you know the, the politics of some of a, of a person running for president getting involved in a, in a public policy issue issue with the state level doesn't happen a lot so i'm curious Mm -hmm. what the what the idea is behind
1: well i i think the president just took a look at the senate's package and saw that it included a business inventory tax and reached a logical conclusion that that would apply to nfts of him being dressed up as a cowboy or superhero that makes a lot of sense yeah that's the best thing i mean good because that's the best way i could come up with this (laughs) and and, you know i don't think i don't you know and we look we've talked about the difference between the house and the senate package we've highlighted uh the you know the the strengths of both, the weaknesses of both. Um, and ultimately, you know, it's the foundation's position is that this is something that needs to be um, hammered out using the mechanisms available. And I think that we have a good spread of mechanisms. They're just going to have to uh, borrow from one, give to the other. That kind of, mo- you know, shift some things around. But I'm still optimistic that they're going to find a common ground on this. Mm-hmm. Now, the... Trump endorsement of a particular legislative proposal wasn't the most surprising. Remember he also got involved in the uh the, the Tarrant County uh, county judge race. <laughs> um, I didn't forget about that. And and so I just it's it's interesting cuz I can tell you off the top of my head I'm not I don't think that the former president has read SB you know the the, the yeah. three Senate bills that make up the Senate's property tax. I'm sorry, the tax relief package because again, he has inventory mm-hmm. tax in there as well. I don't think he's went ahead and read this, but it's you know it's throwing an an affirmation towards a, a, a political ally, and and you know people do that all the all the time. The the problem being though is that again. It does not necessarily move the state any closer to finalizing a particular um, a particular solution for this going forward, because, you know, it's just it's going to cause people to galvanize in their own position. They're going to they're going to dig in. And I think people will be less or more reticent, less likely to actually engage in the substantive debate on this. issue. And that's what we need is we need substantive debate, not truth messages endorsing one or the other.
0: This one's always been difficult really for property tax because any of the times that we've researched public opinion on this, the details, I mean people's eyes just glaze over, it's hard for them to really, you know, get into like the details of it and which one's better and which one's not. They just at some yeah. point they just say, "Look, cut my property taxes like however you do it and of course the question is
1: what kind of property do you own and, yeah, that's, right. and that's where your guidance goes over again. I just want to pay yeah.
0: less you know so even mm-hmm. so even pr- the president uh, you know get weighing in and trying to motivate his supporters to move his direction or to move you know to support the senate direction I just don't think at the end of the day I just think whether you're a Trump supporter or not is not going to be as material as what happens to my taxes right. when you pass this bill or when you t- pass that bill and frankly to the senate and to the leadership of the senate and the house they have tried to answer that question which I think is not always something that Republicans do really well is to try and and try to answer the questions you know the basic questions yep. about how is this policy going to affect me they like to talk about policy they like to talk about the ins and outs um, and and don't get to the results as, as quickly but I think the house and the Senate have tried to do a good job uh, Paul Betancourt on one side and the speaker on the other uh, to to um, to talk about you know, what does this mean for the average family and mm-hmm. and, and how will they um, and I, I think ultimately that will matter more the answer to that uh, what you think about the answers to those questions uh, Will matter more than than where the former president um, weighs in. I think you're right. Okay, a couple quick quick ones I want to get mm-hmm. to um, uh, very briefly. Uh, one uh, just because of your background with criminal justice reform, mm-hmm. and also I think because every it seems odd. I just I just feel like this issue of civil civil asset forfeiture uh, keeps coming up. I think for conservatives, this one's a no brainer. This one feels like big government. This one feels like a lack of due process where the the cops can just take you know can just assume that just because you know you've got some some kind of material. Even if it is bags of cash or something, you know, when you get pulled over for a speeding ticket or for some other crime, um, you know that they can take that money without any due process, and then you have to, you know, go through the process or you know through the burdensome um, uh, process of trying to get it back, even though even if you haven't been convicted of a crime and so Mm -hmm. on. That's I'm sure I probably am am explaining this in a a terrible way, or at least in a way that's um, uh, not not satisfactory. Uh, But I just think for conservatives, this this one seems like a no brainer. It comes Mm -hmm. up every year. It feels like the House. uh, Always passes it out and then it gets stuck in the Senate. So, tell us a little bit about the issue, but then also what's what's with the Senate?
1: Yeah. uh, So uh, the easiest way to the easiest way to describe this is is civil asset forfeiture. It tends to has some very animated people on it. They have the one percent of people who know what it is and are. Pretty upset that it exists as a big affront to our constitutional order. There's the oh, another one percent of people who know what it is and are the direct beneficiaries of that, whether it's law enforcement or prosecutors.
0: <laughs> then the ninety-eight percent of the people like me who try to explain it just now. Yeah, they're like, and they're like, <laughs> wait, is this
1: legalized theft? You know, but like, that, but that's not you're your to be excused because I didn't say because, legalized because, thefts. I no, just you know, said due process. That's more of a libertarian thing. <laughs> okay. But but no, all all joking aside <laughs> is. The the tough part about it is it's one of the you think people gloss over when you start talking about uh, the minutia of property taxes. When you start talking about what sort of remedies you have in the civil court when you property when your property is party to an in rem proceeding, and that again, mm. I, I gotta be able to say if, if you're if you're listening online, Brian just died. So, <laughs> so the, the video <laughs> my, people, my eyes just glazed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so all, all joking aside, it's it's something that all any sort of reform effort is doing, is saying that, look, if the state is going to take your property, then they need to, if not establish a conviction, which some of the more aggressive bills that um, have not been voted out uh, do, uh, they at least need to prove or suggest to a higher, that's not proving because there's there's no criminal process at all. They need to meet a higher burden for that, for that to go through. And that's all that uh, I believe it was uh, 36 HB 3659 uh, did. And, you know, I got I have to I have to laud credit to, on uh, Chairman Brian Harrison, who chaired the Civil Asset Forfeiture Committee uh, or subcommittee, uh, at, which was a part of uh, Chairman Moody's uh, Crimger Committee. You know, they negotiated this bill. They found what works and they were able to kick it out to the floor. And I believe it only got five no votes. And and again, the, the funny thing was it had three no votes one day, five no votes a second day and only one of those was a consistent person that was no on both days. <laughs> so like it, it just struck it struck me as a lot of people just don't understand what right. this is. Now, but the, it does
0: t- t- tell you yeah. something about how the the two chambers treat this issue differently. Yeah. When the House literally has a subcommittee yeah. just on this one issue and yep. yet, you know, the Senate acts like it like you know, like they they, c- they couldn't be bothered to to address the issue.
1: Yeah, and, and, and I do find that I do find that both Interesting and concerning, too, because this is one of those things where, you know, if you look at things like the the base of each party kind of animating the larger actors, and, you know, again, just using general negative uh, uh, polarization valence politics theory, right? Both the... <laughs> GOP platform the Texas GOP platform and the Texas Democrats platform both explicitly call for the full abolition of the process this is like a third of the way No, I wouldn't even this is like a fifth of the way there Mm. right so both of them call for the full abolition I would say that the GOP calls for a stronger abolition it says use party resources to get rid of this and so it's just funny because again I think it's the lack of energy around it Mm. that tends to meet uh to uh meet with some headwinds. Now, there's also a lot of misinformation around there. You know, it's funny because folks whether they're uh law enforcement who are dedicated just to this practice, which again I was I was under the impression that we didn't have enough officers on the street, let alone enough to come every you know, once every other week to testify in Austin. But or that our prosecutors are dedicated just towards this practice saying, Oh well, no, there's a useful tool. We use it to fight the cartels. We do all that. And then, you know, uh, somebody will say, like, well, what about this horror story, that horror story? Oh, we never do any of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, none of that stuff is affected here. And they go, so none of this would affect you. And they say, oh, no, we do everything best practices, so none of this would affect you. Well no, we're not doing anything. And it's just it's a circular thing. If you don't have anything to worry about. Then yeah. what are you worried about the legislation for? Yeah, and and to be honest with you, I tend to agree with them. I don't I honestly don't think this would mean heads or tails to cuz again, if you're the if you're the kind of agent, you know, law enforcement agency or prosecutor agency that has your ducks so in a row, That you can come to austin and lay out your forfeiture records and say look we're not doing yet that horror story happened but we didn't do it Mm -hmm. we didn't do that we didn't you know here and it's like you guys are doing the right thing let us help make you the model and so that people are doing it the way you're doing it, the right way.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, to your point, the uh, the House did pass it out with, with yes. minimal um, minimal opposition. But we will wait to see what happens in the Senate, but we won't hold our breath. <laughs> okay. So very quickly, because I know we have a, I have a few minutes left, I definitely want to get to, and again, a, a real packed week. Um, this week, uh, the Senate passed a, a bill. Um, that it would allow for the the uh, Secretary of State to call a new election so just give the background story obviously there was the horror stories over the election with you know paper with with uh, polling locations running out of paper in Harris County of course if you run out of paper you can't print the ballots that people are going to be voting on and so people are standing around for however uh, long um, uh, wondering if they're ever going to get to vote and then and, and then when the paper doesn't show up then they have to scramble to try and go to another polling location and you really are putting it risk at that at that moment uh, the ability of people to cast their vote and to have their votes Mm -hmm. you know represented in democracy so it is a serious issue it's not just running out of paper I mean it's not like you're just trying to print recipes or something (laughs) Um, and so um, Senator Mays Middleton uh, has a has legislation that would in the in that case uh, would allow for the Secretary of State to in fact call a new election uh, so that everybody could get prepared with all the Mm -hmm. paper that they needed Mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that there weren't any instances of people who weren't allowed to vote, um, or uh, you know, or or any any other kind of shenanigans uh, that were taking place. A lot of people have criticized this. A lot of people, the media, others, particularly people in Harris County, nobody credible have have <laughs> criticized this because one, it only applies to Harris County, mm. which is kind of interesting. I want to see your t- your take on that. I'm curious to know if that's even constitutional. I'm not sure how that works, mm. um, but also that that this is really kind of a sledgehammer, you know, going after a nail here because um, uh, you know we're talking about printer paper uh, running out and that you know being able to call an entirely new election. It uh, seems like it uh, seems like uh, overly broad in terms of the yeah. solution for something like that.
1: Yeah. And, and so so here's the thing. It's again, I, want, I feel like we come back to this point every damn week <laughs> when we say that the way something's dealt with in the press, especially the way that it gets uh, spoken about in activist circles. Oh, I, I think uh, I, had, I saw on a friend's Instagram page, which I which I purposefully keep uh, mine uh, apolitical um saw them saying oh this would allow abbott's hand-picked uh secretary of state to overturn an election and it's like that is i forgot we still need to keep our e-rating that is not true (laughs) Uh, That that, that, that is deliberately false um what this does is it basically says look if you have aberrance up to two percent in this particular thing which we see in harris county which Freak, Which, again, is basically the poster child. They are the A-plus student when it comes to messing up elections. Mm -hmm. You know, we saw, like, entire polling places go down. Now, again, allow me to put an aside here. I will say this is a great example why folks on the right definitely need to be embracing early in-person voting because not doing so makes your vote if you're going to wait for election day specifically you are going to be more subject to water main breaks it raining in philadelphia mm-hmm. running out running out of paper in harris county now we can add to that list of shorthand you're making polling your locations opening late or, yeah you know all of that all you're making your some more shit. all that notwithstanding here this just says look if you have this much of a deviation from you know normal practice then do it over mm-hmm. And and here's the thing you're not going to have the same people showing up all the time and that is going to you know, be a problem. For example, if somebody does wait for the Tuesday of, you know, they might not be able to do next Tuesday or, or whatever the case mm-hmm. might be. And that's a problem. But the other problem is the systemic disenfranchisement that you actually do see of just a poorly run election. Mm-hmm. You know, the state, it's so funny because everyone talks about, you know, Jim Eagle and how bad it is to vote in this state. That's never been substantial, it's never been the case. Obviously, the rolls keep growing, the vote amounts keep growing. So that's obviously not the case. However, the errors that all seem to be breaking the same way all tend to do that. And they go, mm. oh, well you know, Abbott still won elections, so I don't know why you guys are protesting this election. It's like, you know what? There's a lot of people who never in their life would ever vote for Abbott that had their vote canceled out because of sloppy municipal governance. And that's what this is, is that if you have people on the right, left, and center who don't get to enjoy the full franchise of a ballot because, the people, because Harris County being as poorly run as it is, and I think that we have enough historical record to say that at this point, Harris County being as poorly run as it is, if y'all can't get your stuff stuff hmm. together, then I'm sorry that you need to get yeah you know, be brought back to it and have folks actually be given that chance. And not being able to stock polling locations that you flag for people with paper is one of the easiest uh, er- errors to avoid. Yeah.
0: You have two years. You have two years to prepare for one day mm-hmm. to get it to get it right. It just seems shocking to me. I mean, it, you know, this might seem a little petty to some people, and especially because it's focusing only on on Harris County. But my word, I mean, you know, if you're that unprepared, you know, there needs to be some kind of repercussions for it. Also, and I'm tired of of, of hearing all the time, well, the, you know, there's no evidence that would have reversed, you know, that any of the errors would have reversed the results, or that, you know, yeah, you know nobody there were no. Has,
1: there were no votes cast <laughs> yeah there, nobody's come forward to
0: say oh it was my vote that was you know the, the that they didn't that they didn't count you know the idea is that we have a system and it is an incredibly inefficient system I mean if you really look at how we we count and collect the votes um, it really is it really is ine- inefficient I think we can do a lot better but the problem is is that when you try to look at the system and you're being you know in, in a good faith way to say what's the best way that we can ensure people's basic democratic rights and you start to try and reform the system you know both sides come out and and, you know and lob you know extremist mm. claims of voter suppression or this that you know or, or of uh, you know of, of voter fraud or all this you, can't, you we're just trying to fix the system there are yeah. clearly issues with it if we can all sit down and have a, a rational honest discussion an intellectually honest discussion about how to fix the system mm-hmm. so that it works for people so that people can't cheat so that there if there are mistakes they don't affect yeah. it they don't they don't result in us mm-hmm. losing our votes we can't have that that honest conversation about it because this thing because voter integrity is so highly charged so, so
1: so you and I live in blood red Travis County I think we should say.
0: But but they you know tra- I'm haze now so other oh, that, oh, right. it's pretty it's going pretty pretty blue.
1: So. Yeah, I was like so so well it might, it might be purple at the timing. R- regardless, you know I think we can say that we cast our ballots you and me. We cast our ballots in places that are not exactly uh friendly to to you know conservatives friendly to Republicans. And even in those counties though I've never had any of the issues that have gone on Harris County, whether we're talking about, you know, a very blue precinct or a very red precinct. I voted in, mul- you know, in multiple ones around, you know, around North Austin, Central Austin. Mm-hmm. They Travis County just doesn't ha- now granted, it's a different size, but they still don't have the problems even at scale or at a lower reduced scale that Harris County did. And, and to say that, oh, it's bullying Harris County. Well, if if other people. Screwed up, uh, at at that particular rate. Your self editing has been noticed. It's three or yeah. four times today. I appreciate you preserving our, yeah. well, our podcast I mean, for well, another week. Well, the thing is, what I should do is just start like, let's, <laughs> like cutting the volume. Like like Jefferson has a dump switch, uh, and just start cutting my own we volume. Could just make it edgy and bleep you out. You know, oh, then, that's then true. more people my well, watch. We can, we can we can work on that after a session. But all that to say is. Other counties of equal political persuasion don't seem to have the same problem. Maybe if they stopped screwing up, they'd stop being targeted by so many uh, legislators.
0: All right. That was a lot. We probably went way over where we normally try to go, and I'm sure we're probably both late to meetings right now. Uh, but we do appreciate Uh-oh. you indulging with us uh, uh, on these issues. we got a lot to talk about this week, and even some things that popped up that we didn't expect to talk about. So uh, we do, as always, appreciate you. Uh, if you have any feedback for us, you can obviously catch us on Twitter. Uh, hopefully, you can find us out there. Um, so, As always, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Um, And as I like to say every week, what is it I like to say every week?
1: Uh, Don't fake the funk on a nasty dunk.
0: There we go. Don't fake the funk on a nasty dunk. I think that was Sam Houston. (laughs) Do good and risk the consequences. We'll see you next week.